The General Services Administration is following a simple mantra to get its agency-wide modernization effort. Eliminate, optimize, and automate. So far in just the public building service alone, that EOA approach has saved nearly $2 billion, with a goal of saving $5 billion by 2024. GSA Administrator Emily Murphy tells Executive Editor Jason Miller about how Public Building Service achieved those savings and where the agency is heading next to find more. When Dan Matthews came in as the PBS Commissioner, he went and looked at our, our leases and we found out that over 50% of our leases were in carryover status. Our average lease was six years, our average tenancy was over 20 years. So he started looking at which ones had the greatest opportunity for savings, when those were expiring, what kind of workforce would we need to have in place to really get the most out of those savings, and was able to come up with a plan to save $5 billion over five years. We've saved $1.9 billion of that so far, so we're on, on, on track to do that. He also worked with us to do utilization data. At central office, for example, we started looking at how often do people scan in, how often do they check out desks, how do they want to use space. And we found that even on our busiest day, we had over a thousand vacant desks, which meant that we could then consolidate folks out of the National Capital Region building, bring them in, restack the building, put them in. We'll still save over $10 million a year by bringing them in. Um, and it gives us a, a building that we can then go in, renovate, and make available to another federal agency, get them out of lease space, which will, so the, the, the savings will cascade. You bring up the NCR move. You said that's actually going to happen sometime in, in November timeframe, next month or so. Is there any, initially I think there was some concern from the NCR folks. Have you been able to alleviate some of those concerns? I think change is, it's that old change is hard. Change is hard. And I've, so I've gone over and talked to the folks at NCR. Some of them have come over and, and met with me. We've done some town halls. We've had change champions within each of the groups there. We're asking people though, who many have spent their entire career working in one building to change their commutes. We're within a, a little over a mile of, of the other building, but it is change. And hopefully the promise that we're going to give them nice, clean, modern space in central office, that we're working on making some you know, improvements to that space so that we can all better utilize it, I think it's going to be a good thing. I know that there's also been concern that we're trying to absorb them into central office, that they won't keep their own character as a region. And that's not the intention. That's we've, that's one of the reasons we actually made sure that they're going to have their own dedicated space within the building and continue to function as a region, but they're just going to be co-located with us. The NCR building that they're currently in, have you talked to a lot of your agency partners who are like, oh, we would love to have that building, or hey, we love to consolidate leases? Because I know one of the things that Dan Matthews has talked about is you have something like, you'll correct me if I'm wrong, 50 or 60% of all leases are coming due in the next five years that you can then move people into federal buildings. And I, I think the OPM is another building, is another example of something that you guys are also looking at to move other agencies into the shared space. We're actually working with a bunch of different agencies on how much of their space are they utilizing, how much space do they need, is there a way to move them into federal space, which is always a better deal for taxpayers, or almost always a better deal for taxpayers. Short-term needs, perhaps not, but otherwise makes a lot of sense. And we've got several agencies that are interested in that space down at 7th and D. It's a great location that will get them out of the lease space. And at the end of the day, we've got about 368 million square feet in our portfolio, and about half of that is lease space. If about 50% of our leases are expiring in any given year, 
and about 20% of those leases are, you know, account for 80% of the savings. Anything we can do to move the needle on those ends up resulting in real savings for taxpayers and real savings for agencies. This whole discussion around public building services is just a great example of how data analytics is changing the way you as an administrator make decisions. Can you kind of expand upon that a little bit, not just from a PBS perspective, from, but from a GSA-wide perspective? How is data driving or changing the way you look at the agency and, and how you manage the agency? I'll give you one example. We're using something we call the Eliminate, Optimize, Automate process to sort of work with RPA, where we're trying to take data in look at problems, analyze those, figure out if we can do something first to eliminate the problem. Do we need, you know, is there a process we need? Can we then optimize it if, if we need it? Or can, can we automate it? Uh, another example would be the e-commerce platform. We've got $6 billion roughly as a government that's being spent using purchase cards under the micro-purchase threshold. In creating an e-commerce marketplace and you know, our proof of concept, which will hopefully launch early next year, that's going to give us the opportunity to get our hands around that spend, figure out what's coming into our supply chain, uh, how we're buying, and make you know and understand the if there are better ways to address that and how we we structure, frankly, our schedule so they complement that. Rather than right now, we don't really have have any you know even the fundamental grasp of what is coming in through that $6 billion in spend. Let me maybe take it down a notch because that's all kind of data and, and decisions that can come later once you kind of establish certain certain pieces. Do you currently have, for instance, a dashboard that you look at every morning, every afternoon? Do you have, uh, are there other ways that data is driving the way Emily Murphy makes decisions for GSA? So actually this is, I'm excited about this. I came last year to ELC and talked about having dashboard envy. I still have dashboard envy, but we're making real progress on coming up with a unified dashboard where I can go in and look at, for example, the Department of Commerce and see how is GSA interacting with commerce from a federal acquisition standpoint, from a real estate standpoint, from a technology standpoint, from a fleet standpoint, all the different points of contact and try and draw that together. I joke with the folks that if I go out to a meeting that, is, uh, that I'm told is a, a FAS meeting, the first thing that anyone's going to ask me about is buildings and vice versa. So our customers don't think of us as a federal acquisition service and a public building service and a technology transformation service or a government-wide policy office. They think of us as GSA. And we've been actually issued a policy during Customer Experience Week to talk about how we're going to start analyzing data as an agency rather than thinking of it as PBS data or FAS data or any you know any one particular office's data. It's a good thing. There's always concerns about the fee structure at FAS. And, and hearing that you have more money in the Acquisition Services Fund than maybe, I don't know about ever before, but, but it's, it's healthy and it, you're able to use it for a lot of these modernization efforts. The fact that you the revenue's up in, across FAS will ask will lead people down the path of, well, why don't you cut fees then? Because I don't think GSA's cut fees in quite a while. What's the latest with the thinking around the fee structure for the schedules, for the GWACs and the like? So I want to be clear. When I say that, that, that sales going through schedules are up and that FAS is in a healthy financial position, I mean that FAS did more than break even. It's been many years since FAS even broke even. They weren't scheduled to break even until next year. They came in a little bit above break even this year. Our hope is to take that money and invest it in these in the new tools, which doesn't mean we're not looking at schedule at uh, fee reform. There's a group within the Federal Acquisition Service that is looking at rationalizing the fees and making sure we've got a good understanding of what those fees are going to be. I've asked for a, um, for a proposal on what that's going to look like. I don't know that we're ready to go forward with anything at this point in time, but it's something that's always you know, 
it's always on my mind. I want to make sure we're not we're not charging too much. I also want to make sure, though, that I leave the Federal Acquisition Service in a very healthy standpoint so that it can continue, that we don't end up in a situation again where we have an FSS-19 hanging around for generations beyond its useful lifespan. The Acquisition Services Fund, is there money there to, to modernize? you feel good about the fact that you're able to do all these things that are going on around FAS, that there's funding for that? It's always important to remember within the ASF that a lot of things we do also are good for government. For example, we do the category management PMO. We run the integrated award environment. A lot of that work is done out of GSA using ASF resources. But I do think that we're in a good spot. We've been budgeting about $100 million each year out of the ASF to do modernization. With the improving uh, financial state, we're hoping that we might be able to bring that up to as much as $150 million a year for modernization. With the end goal being that it, that the ultimate cost for running the schedules and running the GSA contracts would come down, which then we could sh- share that savings across the board. Emily Murphy, Administrator of the General Services Administration. She was speaking to Executive Editor Jason Miller at the recent ACT-IAC Imagination ELC conference in Philadelphia. Check out all of our ELC coverage at federalnewsnetwork.com. When you think about something that brings out the best in us, it usually involves helping someone else. By donating plasma at a Griffles Center, you can help save millions of lives and show your good side to the world. You'll join thousands of people who donate safely each week, so patients get the plasma-derived medicines they rely on. And you'll be rewarded up to $1,000 your first month. Learn more at grifflesplasma.com. Love Target? Well, you're about to love it even more. With Target Red Card, you'll save 5% every day, in-store and online. Find the red card that's right for you, whether it's debit, credit, or Target's new Red Card Reloadable, which doesn't require an existing bank account or credit check. With Target Red Card, you'll get exclusive deals and free shipping on most items. Visit Target.com slash Red Card to get all the details. It's always a great day to save. Restrictions apply.